Welcome to Scrum Dynamics, episode 17. In this episode, Dermot and I discuss what to measure in your Dynamics 365 projects when you're using Scrum. Scrum projects often rely on velocity as a measure of progress. So we'll discuss what velocity is, how we measure it, what we use it for, and what we don't use it for. We also discuss lots of other metrics to help you measure what matters in your Dynamics projects. There's a lot to cover, but just before we get into it, I wanted to remind you that you can leave your questions for us by visiting customary.com and clicking on the send voicemail button. Customary is the word customer with a Y on the end. Click on the send voicemail button on the right hand side and we'll cover your question in a future episode. Okay, let's dive in. Mapletics Bionogic is a market-leading, certified for Dynamics 365, geo-analytical mapping app. Mapletics empowers users with powerful map visualization and writing capabilities within Dynamics 365 to drive better sales, improve business processes, and engage the right customers at the right time. Mapletics now works with Dynamics 365 version 9 and the Dynamics 365 app for mobile and tablet devices. Thanks to Mapletics Bionogic for supporting the CRM Audio Network. Analogic is a leading gold-certified Microsoft ISV, delivering best-in-class Dynamics 365 solutions, as well as high-quality and cost-effective programming services. Hi, Dermot. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Neil. Good to have you back. I've heard you've been away in the US. What's been happening? Yeah, had a couple of weeks um, holiday. Or um, You know, we used to live in LA, so I took the family back to catch up with some friends. We climbed up Mount Whitney while we were there. It's... Um, 14,500 feet, about 4,400 meters, Ooh. which is um, half the height of Everest. So I was Kids and all. impressed with that. It took um, 15 and a half hours to climb up and down the, the Mountaineers route, which Jeez. is, uh, yeah, it's two and a half hours longer it took to fly across the Pacific. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, you weren't a beer brutal. after that? You got down? Yeah, yeah. Not much walking after that either. Oh. Well, yeah, good. so I had a great time. So this week I'm back in Australia. I'm in stay, staying in the US time zone because I'm heading back to Phoenix on Friday. So I got back from California on Monday morning, Friday evening. I'm flying back out to Phoenix for the Dynamics 365 User Group Conference, which is being held in Phoenix this year. I'm really excited. I haven't been to Phoenix before. So it's always a great conference, one of my favorite every year. So looking forward to that. Yeah, you're clocking up the air miles as well, which is great. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> How have you been? I've been great, thanks. Um, battening down the hatches here in Sydney. We've had a very late storm to the year, so we're getting flooded out. It's some welcome rain because we're in the middle of a drought here. So, yeah, yeah we're battening down the hatches, but it's all good. Um, onwards and upwards. So well, The weather we... forecasters have forecast a supercell to hit Brisbane this afternoon. So if you can hear some rumbling in the background, it might be my tummy because I'm getting pretty hungry, or right. it could be a thundercloud <laughs> overhead. Yeah. The whole East Coast is getting hit at the moment, I think. But it's welcome, yeah. right? Because we've been yep. dry for a long time. All good. So I thought we'd uh, use this episode, Dermot, to catch up and talk about metrics. Um, you and I had some spirited debates when we worked together about the right way to track the progress on a Scrum project compared to a sequential project. And there's a lot of different, I think, both in the philosophy and in the metrics as well. I think you, you've got some real expertise there, so I'm hoping you'll share that with us. I'll bring some color to that with my experience on Dynamics projects 
and we'll see if we give our listeners something to uh, to use on their next dynamics project. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a healthy debate tonight, I think, Neil. A lot of people have different opinions on metrics, on which ones you should use, and if you should use them at all. So we'll delve a little yeah. deeper into that, into the psychology of it. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast this week about the no estimates movement, mm. which is really just an exercise in challenging all of the long-held kind of beliefs about software development and do we need estimates? Why do we need estimates? And what are they for? And is there a better way? And yeah, the, the similar kind of debates go on with metrics as well. Great. Okay, let's get started. On my projects, the, the basic metric we use is velocity, which is how many story points, or so, which is a measure of value or, or effort, how many story points we achieved in a sprint. I've heard some scrum masters say that that's all you need. Has that been your experience as well? Yes and no. When we say velocity, it's it's not just how many story points were achieved in a sprint. I like to think of it as how many story points we're achieving per sprint over several sprints. So we can get an right. average going back over time, whether that's three sprints or five sprints. Uh, most teams I've worked with have used either three or five. That seems to be the number. So just to recap on what velocity is, it's at the end of the sprint, if you add up all the story points that have, were moved to done based on your definition of done, in that sprint. Yep. So if, for example, you had a sprint and it was 100 points in the sprint, and at the end of the sprint, 80 of those points were moved to done and 20 points were undone, well, then your velocity for that sprint would be 80 points. But you really want to get an average over several sprints because one sprint in isolation doesn't tell you a whole lot. So over three to five sprints, you can see a trend appearing because you're always going to have people are on sick leave, people go on holidays, they've got training, people might resign. You've got external dependencies that might delay stories. So every sprint has its own unique reasons why you may or may not achieve what you intended to achieve in that sprint. So it's better, I think, to do it over several sprints. Um, at the moment, we're using three sprints where I work, um, but I've seen yeah. five being used as well if you want a longer average. And if on two-week sprints and you take a five-sprint average, that's over 10 weeks you're getting your capacity. So um, how, what time zone do you use, Neil? How, how many weeks or how many sprints? I normally track the average velocity over three sprints. So on my current project, the Jupiter program, we're um, just completed sprint two. Mm -hmm. and we had 26 points in sprint one, 41 in sprint two. So you know we're all over the map at the moment. And there's no real sense of where we're going to go in sprint three because we're just forming as a team. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to track any kind of velocity in those early sprints mm -hmm. until you have that kind of three or four or five sprints. And then you can see what the average looks like. Yeah. We've had uh, people off on holiday. Last sprint, I was away for a lot of it. We've had uh, one of our developers uh, just, uh, take paternity leave a little bit unexpectedly. His uh, wife, the baby arrived a little bit premature by a couple of weeks. So, you know, those kind of things come up and uh, you need to, to measure it over a longer period to, to allow those things to, to help your average build up. Now, here comes the, the controversial part, Neil. Why do we measure velocity? What's, what's it being used for? <laughs> so product owners want to see the velocity so they know how much work to give you, right? And the higher ups, the, the, the managers can, can tell how productive you're being and um, and then they, they want to divide that by the number of developers you have so they can measure individual productivity. Um, that's that's the worst of it, right? It's it's the opposite of that, in fact. Mm. So something I'd like to call out is that velocity really has nothing to do with business value. Value is something different. Velocity to me is based on our estimate, what we think an estimate is, say in our team, 
our definition of five points could be completely different to what your definition of five points is. So if we're seeing that t- team A is achieving 100 points per sprint, but team B is only doing 200 points per sprint over an average, you can't compare the two of them because your definition of 200 points is way different to my definition of 200 points. So it's important that velocity isn't used as a KPI. No. It's more for the team to estimate and go, hey, last sprint over the last five sprints, we've averaged 100 points. So it's reasonable to assume that in the next sprint, we could take in 100 points. When we're doing that, so when we go to sprint planning, we do that's what, where we use velocity. But we also bring in capacity. So if you, we say, well, over the last three sprints, our velocity was 100 points. And over the last three sprints, we had full teams. It's reasonable to assume that in the next sprint, we could achieve 100 points. But Tom is going to be away on holidays for that two weeks. That's going to reduce our capacity. And if we were a five-person team and we're losing Tom because he's going away on holidays, then we're losing 20% of our capacity. Yeah. So based on an average velocity being 100 points, we're now losing 20% capacity. It would be reasonable to assume that we could achieve 80 points in the next sprint. So you can use velocity on its own, but I also like to bring capacity into it as well. So it's not quite capacity planning, but it's just looking at who's got intended leave, who's going to be on holidays, who's going on training. Um, did someone resign from the team? Do we have an external dependency? So look at all these variables when you go into planning and combined with the velocity, you can then um, estimate what, how many points you can bring into sprint in negotiation with the product owner. That's where I use it at a team level. But at, like you said, at a higher level, the product owner can use it to estimate epics. So you might have an epic that's stretching out for another 12 months. It's a huge piece of work that's going to take 12 months. And you want to go, well, at the current rate of velocity, how long will it take me to complete that epic? And that will assist, those numbers will assist the product owner in estimating the timeline of the project. So there are two of the ways that it can be used, Neil. But it can also be abused, uh, like I said, when it's being used as a KPI. Have you seen that much? Yeah, no, that lines up with my experience uh, perfectly, Dermot, um, particularly on, on dynamics projects. I use story points to estimate epics. I use the kind of upper range of the, the story point Fibonacci sequence to estimate epics. And that's really just to give us a roadmap, an overall cost for the releases that we've got planned and uh, to give the, the product owner some way of chunking things up and go, oh, that one looks like it's twice as big as this one. So therefore, it's probably twice as expensive. And they can balance the relative priority of those two epics based on the story point estimates that I've given them and the velocity that we're predicting to give them that kind of sense of cost. So yeah, we definitely use that. We've got to remember, though, particularly when we do that kind of road mapping exercise at the start of a project, those estimates are pretty wild, right? We've got no uh, knowledge of the product, no knowledge of the team, and no historical velocity to base all that on. It's guesswork based on our experience of similar projects, similar requirements, and similar teams. So it's not a wild guess. It is an educated guess, but it's a guess nonetheless. Yeah, That's why I, I always stress to the teams and to the, the product owners that they well, it's in the word, isn't it? It's an estimate. It's it's not a yeah. solid commitment that we're going to get this done. It's our best estimate that we can give you at this point in time. That may change as yeah. we go through the project. But it is a useful metric to track within the team. Um, like you said, so you know the Scrum Master can lead that discussion within the team to say, hey, why are we up this one and down that one? And what are the, what are the underlying reasons for that? And we can see if it's, you know, a deficiency in our test coverage or um, in our development practices, um, and we can track 
changes in velocity that hopefully we're making as we continually improve our process uh, based on the sprint retrospectives and the outcomes, of the action items that come out of that. Mm. It's also important, Neil, we discussed this in a previous podcast. What matters is when you finish the story, not when it started. So if you have a story that rolls over to the next sprint, you wouldn't count the points for that story until the next sprint when that story is done. Um, so yep. if you had a an eight-point story and you completed five of the points worth of effort, you don't count those five points. The points for a story only get counted when the story is done. That's right. And that's when you add it to the velocity. Now, ideally, all your stories should be finished in a sprint anyway, but we know in the real world that doesn't happen. So it's important to be consistent with this across your sprints. Dermot, one of the things we were discussing today, it was actually in our sprint retrospective, is the tendency for teams to inflate their estimates over time. A piece of work that we used to consider to be a three-point story. After a few months, uh, we got we got bitten by a couple of uh, stories that we underestimated. So that three-point story, we now call that a five-point story just to cover our backsides a little bit. And our, our point estimates for the same size piece of work tends to go up over time. But that's okay, isn't it? Because then our average velocity tracks up over time as well. And those things kind of even out. You know, they, they balance themselves and we're still in, in the right spot. Do you think that's a, a fair assessment of, of that kind of inflation, story point inflation? Have you ever seen that? Uh, I have seen it. Um, and sport remember, we're doing relative estimation. So if you need to do another session, and it's a good idea every few sprints to do another session on what is our relative estimation. What does five points mean to us? Usually with your velocity, we're not doing velocity back to the very start of the project. We tend to use a rolling tree sprint average. So if you're you're tweaking what five points means to you, within two to three sprints time, that's caught up with itself. And the average is now back to where it should be. Yep. So yeah, I have seen that happen. And it's actually good practice that teams revisit what five points means to them, what their relative estimation is. Because you over that period of time, over several months, you will get new members into the team. So it's good to recalibrate that so that all the team members are on the same page about what a point means. So yeah, I have seen that, Neil. But over two to three sprints, if you're doing a three sprint rolling average, it'll even itself out. But another um, metric that we use related to velocity that we use in, in my teams that I work with is velocity predictability. This is more, if, if we look at velocity it's the number of points in a sprint over, say, a tree sprint rolling average that we are achieving. But we want to do pr- how predictable are we. So if we said our velocity is 100 points, what percentage of that did we achieve? So if we got 90%, 90 points in the sprint, then we achieved 90% of it. If we overdid it and we brought in new stories, if we did 110 points, then we achieved 110% of the sprint. So we, we track predictability. And we give ourselves a threshold. This is to try and uplift the team members they're estimating. And we set ourselves a target each sprint. We do this in the retro that, hey, let's try and get plus and minus 10% of our velocity. So if we say we're going to do 100 points in the next sprint, let's at least try and get to 90%. Let's make best efforts. And over time, we can track that. And if we're not tracking that, we can do it in the retro and go, hey, guys, we thought we'd make 90% at the very least, and we came in at 60%. What happened? Uh, It's something that we can track and put it on a graph and go, hey, we're getting better at our estimating or we're not. Have you ever used that one, Neil? No, I I haven't. I can see where that would be useful. But in my mind, that's mostly useful for tracking the accuracy of your capacity planning. So it'd be interesting to see if that really works in terms of tracking the team's uh, estimation accuracy as well. Mm. We tend to use these stats for the team. 
Um, not so much for for senior management, which I think we'll probably get into later as well, Neil. Who yeah. uses these statistics? Who, like when I've been speaking about velocity and velocity predictability, we primarily use them for the team and for the product owner to do their predictions on project planning. With project managers or more senior people in the organization want some metrics, then that's a different conversation. And have you used Velocity to, as to roll up to higher levels of the organization, Neil? I, I do, um, just to show them that we're we're tracking it. I don't I go into an awful lot of detail. I try not to give them a breakdown of, of um, what our forecast was and what our actual was. I just say we achieved this. I try not to give them last, you know, uh, a comparison to previous sprints, um, but just to say, yep, yeah, this is what we this is what we achieved, um, and give them a sense of whether we felt that that was a, a good outcome for that sprint, or whether we felt that there was um, we left some points on the table that we were um, just shy of achieving. So just to give them a sense of what's going on, but try not to give them a KPI that they can beat us up with. Mm. And in particular, when we're working in multiple teams. Um, yeah, like you said, there's no comparison between the velocity tracking of our one team and that being tracked by another. Maybe uh, it doesn't always apply for a Dynamics customer where there's maybe only one Dynamics team delivering one Dynamics project. But certainly if you work for in a Dynamics partner, then you can't compare the velocity of any particular Dynamics delivery teams that you have going on with different clients. Um, they each have their own estimates, their own, their own baselines, and their own reasons for their own velocity. So, yeah, I can't compare them even within a consultancy either. Yeah, I, I had one stakeholder who wanted to publish the velocities of the different teams and make it a competition, which I was totally against. Um, because once you start doing that, then the teams are going to gamify it. Yeah. They'll just go, hey, let's let's do these quick one-pointers just so we can up our velocity. And, hey, that's really an eight-pointer, or let's call it a 13-pointer instead. Yeah. When we finish it, we're going to get more points done. Hey, look at us. And we got to remember, it, it isn't a race to get points done. What we're trying to do is deliver value. And yeah. this should be used as a tool to help us deliver value. It's not a competition to show to a senior stakeholder in the organization, hey, look at us. We did 100 points this sprint, and last week we did 80, and look how brilliant we are. That's not what it's about. we got to remember that our primary objective here is to deliver value to the customer. Um, so, yeah, it can get gamified. I've seen it be gamified when it's become a game, when it's become a competition between teams, and you should try and avoid that. So talking about value delivery, have you got a separate metric that your product owner uses to track the value being delivered by the team? Value is quite hard to measure, um, especially when I've been in situations where the product owner or the stakeholders are asking the dev team, hey, how much value did you deliver this sprint? And the dev team can point to, well, here were the goals for this sprint, and this is what we achieved. Now, whether those goals delivered value or not, we're going to have to speak to our customers, which is where the sprint review comes in. And they, we can have that discussion there. Hey, is this what you need? We can have a, a lot of debate around the direction of the project going forward. Are we delivering what you want? Um, I like to defer to the product owner in this as well. But the product owner is very close to the customer. The product owner decides the product backlog based on value. So the product owner is best placed, in my opinion, to determine are we delivering value or not? And also we ask our customers to put a dev team or an engineer on the spot. Are you delivering value? Yeah. I think it's a little bit unfair. They're across the goals and what we're trying to achieve. Really, the product owner should own that with the customer, I think. What would be your opinion, Zin? Yeah, one of the things I've um, 
I've considered is trying to get a product owner to assign a, a value to each story as well. Because you're right, it's not the dev team who can uh, imagine what the value for the end Dynamics user is, but it's got to be the product owner's job to assign that. And maybe using the same Fibonacci sequence that the dev team's using for its estimate of effort, we get the product owner to use that same scale for value. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if you can hear it. The rain has really picked up here and getting getting battered on my tin roof. Can you hear that noise? I can. I can hear. I can hear it in the background. Yeah, it's bucketing down, batting on the hatches, mate. Do you want to postpone until this rain settles down? And oh, it's not too bad. It's okay. It's light. Look, it's not interfering. We finish yeah, it off. Let's go finish it then. If it's not too bad, I can... yeah. No, it's not bad at all. Like I can hear it. Okay. It's not interrupting the podcast. Yeah. Where were we? So, do you think it's a good idea to have your product owner assign a, a points value? Um, I don't know what you call it. It's not a story point, but a a value point to all your stories in your backlog? Would that be a good idea? Well, what we do when we're helping our product owners prioritize the backlog, that's exactly what we do. We have a a matrix. um, On one side, we have effort. And on the horizontal, we would have value. And we have a grid there. And we ask the product owner, will we help them, take the top 20 items off the product backlog, where would you put these uh, product backlog items relative to each other on this matrix, taking value and effort into consideration? Value they, isn't just dollar value. Value could be risk and compliance, uh, regulatory requirements that we must meet, um, reputational. Yeah. If, if we release this product, okay, it's it's not a big feature, but reputation-wise, it's going to look make us look amazing. So that's a big, big value there. Again, the product owner and the customer will determine the value for you. You can help them doing that. We quite look at you said neil we use the fibonacci sequence as well so yeah that's how we help them prioritize the backlog well dermot if you and i agree then uh, let's declare that a best practice and <laughs> charge on <laughs> done and dusted <laughs> yeah we'll write a book we'll do a conference tour we'll be amazing yeah uh, i'm pretty sure someone's been there and done that already <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell us about some of the other kind of metrics that uh, you track within your team um so i have a few more metrics here we don't use all of them in in my teams but they're ones that I, i've used over time and that other people have used. So one is called story completion. This is the number of stories completed in a sprint versus the number of stories that were committed to. So if a team has, say, 30 stories in a sprint and they completed 20 as per the definition of done, then the story completion rate is two-thirds. So 20 divided mm-hmm. by 30 is 66%. Uh, a low number on story completion would indicate a problem. But note here that you could have a very high story completion rate, but a low velocity. So going with our example with 30 stories, what if 29 of those stories were worth only one point? And then your very last story was worth maybe 20 points. So there you have, what's that, 49 points? And you close 29 of the stories, but you've only got 29 of your 49 points complete. It's, yes, it's it's a good one to track how many stories are we getting through, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. Right. Um, the waiting on the stories, you need to take it into consideration too. But it's it's good to look at your throughput. If you think on average you're taking a balanced uh, slice of stories into your sprint, then it lets you know, hey, if we're completing 10 out of 20 stories, it's only half the stories we thought we would. That's bad. So it's it's a good one to use. Have you, have you used it, Neil? Um, no, I haven't, I haven't used that. I tend to stick to tracking velocity. And at the moment, we're focusing on velocity as, a, as a, to help us plan capacity for every sprint planning. And then the other metric that we're looking at is the completion of our project. Uh, we call it a tranche. So tranche one is our first go live, our first major release. We had an estimate of 
the story points of all the epic stories in that tranche. And now we're beginning to measure the completion percentage of each of those epics. And again, that's just a, a rough estimate. We look at the, the epic and go, yeah, there were eight stories in there. We've completed six of them. So let's call that 80% done. Um, and it was originally estimated as a 40-point epic. So we, we take 80% of the 40 points and we're, we're tracking that. Um, as kind of our measure of the progress of our release. That's good. Uh, and with releases, do you use any other um, measurements on releases, like a release burn down? Or yes, we're tra- we're tracking that as a, a release burn up because well, maybe we'll talk about what a, a burn down chart and a burn up chart is, and what the difference is, and how to use them both. Because I think I tend to use. Uh, a release burn down chart in some types of projects and a burn up chart in others. So let's uh, first talk about what they are. Do you want to give us your, your best definition of a, a release, sorry, of a, a sprint uh, burn up chart burn first down. of all? Yeah, and we use these every sprint. Uh, so a burn down chart will show you how much work is remaining to be done in the sprint over time. And by work, we mean points. So we use a tool called Jira, which is by Atlassian, an Australian company. Um, Neil, I think you've used it in the past, but you also mm-hmm. use TFS. Is that right? Um, so these tools, that if you use them to help you track your sprints, they will have these burn down charts out of the box. And it's, uh, we find it really good. We inspect it in the, at the team level at our daily huddle, at the stand-up. And it lets us know how we're tracking. And it shows us the amount of work we said, again, using our previous example, if we said we're going to do uh, committing to 100 points in this sprint. And by day five, we've only got 10 points done. It'll show you that on a burn-down chart, tracking downwards to day zero. You can go, oh. It's visually there in your face going, we are way behind or you're way behind, way ahead. It'll have a trend line down the middle. And if you're crossing below the trend line, you're ahead. If you're way above the trend line, you're way behind where you should be in that point in time. We find it really, really useful. Um, so like I said, the Jira and TFS, these tools, uh, project um, sprint management tools will help you to do that. Burnout chart shows how much work has been completed and the total amount of work on two separate lines. So there are two lines that are way apart from each other at the start of the sprint, and over time they should converge, and at the end of the sprint they should hopefully come together. So how much work you're completing versus the amount of work that you thought that you would complete, and they're burning up as opposed to the previous one burns down, um, just like the name says. So have you used either of those, Neil? Yeah, I use both of those in most projects, um, or one or the other, really. The sprint burned on, quite often used to, you know, we forecast 100 points this sprint. So we start at 100 and hopefully by day 10, if it's a two-week sprint, we're, we're tracking down to zero work remaining. Just like you said, our sprint burned down for this uh, current sprint that just finished uh, had a couple of like three big steps in it, uh, which is not a great sign. In fact, about half of the work was completed in the last two days, um, which is a clear signal. We, we Our final two steps in our um, our two stages in our story lifecycle is product owner review and then a test acceptance. Once it meets those two stages, we're done. It's a clear sign that we're leaving the testing very late and there's yeah. uh, too many stories piling up towards the end of the sprint, which we knew. And the, the chart highlights that and gives us something to work on for our behavior in the next sprint. For releases, I tend to use a burn up chart and the benefit of a burn-up chart over a burn-down is because over the duration of a project, we tend to see the um, amount of work that we have to do go up 
as you know, people come up with new ideas, new requirements, those are added to the backlog. When those get estimated, the size of the backlog has been increased. And that is reflected in that work remaining line going up in value. And, and therefore, the work that the, the amount of effort remaining uh, has got to reach a higher target. And it just shows that we're perhaps further away from completion than we mm-hmm. thought we were at the beginning of the project, which is pretty accurate. But if we track that over time, then we can get some sense of, well, if we stick with the original scope, when can we be finished? But if we want to inco- accommodate this new scope, when's our, our new forecast date for when we're going to be uh, able to release to production? So those are the two circumstances I use those. I really like the, you mentioned scope there, Neil. I really like with the sprint burndown chart. Occasionally scope can be added if the team has extra capacity or sometimes a product yep. owner might sneak a story into sprint. It does happen. Mm-hmm. And the burndown chart will highlight that. You'll see a spike in the, in the chart. And then at the stand-up, we can all go, hey, what's going on here? You know, it'll pick up those anomalies that you really don't want to happen too often in your sprint. Um also, uh, what we found, like you said just there, was there was an avalanche in the burndown chart and that a lot of stories yeah. got finished at the very last day, which is what you we want to try and avoid. Uh, my current team, one of, them, one of the teams, they had this happening. And in the retro, we decided, well, how can we stop this from happening? And we borrowed something from Kanban, which is controlling the whip, controlling work in progress. So yeah. we the team brought in a, a rule amongst themselves that we, they would only work on two items each at a time. Previously, they might have been picking up four to five items each, all work in progress. And then you get to the very last day of sprint and none of them have been done because they're also work in progress. So the team brought in a rule for themselves that said, look, at the very most, we'll pick up two each and we won't move on until we close at least one of those. We can't pick up another story until we close one of those. So at any point in time, they are closing stories. Um, sometimes there will be delays because they're waiting for external dependencies. So it's best efforts, but really the burn down chart highlighted that and the team were able to take an action in a retrospective, which was really, really good. This is a, a very strange analogy and it's I don't even know if it applies now. Do you remember the olden days when we used to write Christmas cards around the holiday season? Mm-hmm. You'd buy a big box of cards, maybe 100 cards in your case. I only have 20 friends, so I'd, I'd buy a much smaller <laughs> box of cards. And you begin to write cards to all your friends and family. So there's a couple of ways to do it. One is to write a, a message in all the cards and then write the names on all the envelopes and then put uh, all the cards in all the envelopes, lick them all up and put stamps on them. Mm-hmm. And you can do that in a batch of all the writing, all the labels, all the envelopes, all the stamps, all the addresses, right? You could do it that way, or you could do them one at a time. Write the message, put it in the envelope, write the address on, lick the stamp, you're done. Well, I like to use that second method because if I ever get interrupted by a glass of mulled wine, um, (laughs) then I've got some of the Christmas cards completely finished. Exactly. And if I do it the first way and try and do all the similar jobs all at once, then if I ever get interrupted, then no Christmas cards have been finished. I can't send any of them. So I, I consider my stories to be exactly the same way. So I do, like you, I just like to get pick a, a story, get it finished, get it done yeah. before I pick up another one. So that anytime I need to stop, then there's some work has been done and I'm not caught with dozens of stories halfway completed. There's a lot more value if you've got 20 stories in a sprint. There's more value in completing one of them than having 20 almost done. The yep. point here is to get something done at the end of the sprint. So it's about controlling the whip. And like you said, uh, sending your Christmas cards. If you got five of those cards off, um, it's better than having 20 of them written but not posted. So I find the burn down chart really helps in highlighting that. 
Uh, Jira, the tool from Atlassian, has a lot of other charts in there as well. So you've got the burndown chart that we mentioned. They've also got a sprint report. They've got epic reports, epic burndown, release burndown, uh, cumulative flow diagram. They've got a whole bunch of out-of-the-box charts that you could use. Too many to talk to in this podcast. But if you're using a tool like Jira or TFS, they will have out-of-the-box uh, charts that you can use to, to highlight your metrics. Again, I prefer to use these metrics for the team to inspect and adapt. Be very, very wary with giving them to more senior stakeholders in the organization in case they're used as KPIs. What other metrics do you use, Neil? Do you have any others? I didn't want to talk so much about metrics. I think you've, you've a lot more experience than I have with those. <laughs> but when it comes to reporting your progress outside the team, so now we're going to have to do something to report to, you know, the the head of software development or the, the CIO or the, you know, the CFO who's sponsoring the, the Dynamics project that I'm working on. I write a, a narrative report, pull in a couple of illustrations, but try not to give them those t- internal team metrics that we're using that we you know, could then be misinterpreted as a, as a KPI. But it's really around the types of progress we're making, the types of risks that we're facing, the issues that we've had, and any corrective actions the team is taking or needs somebody else to take that the, the higher-ups could help us action or hold us accountable for. Um, so they, they get a real sense of the progress we're making and anything that could help us go smoother uh, or quicker or, or deliver more value. And I wrap all of that up in a couple of slide pages or or perhaps uh, a wiki uh, report, which is what we're using at the moment in our, uh, in our internal wiki. And each of the team leads turns one of those in every iteration. We have a short meeting to discuss those every iteration. So that tends to work pretty well. How's it gone for you in terms of status reporting to, to a wider audience? It's going well in that we don't do them. <laughs> um, yeah, well, those conversations, I defer to the product owner. The product owner owns the relationship with the customer and with the stakeholders. But I certainly assist the product owner in that conversation. So if you remember back earlier in this uh, today's podcast, we mentioned about how we're doing planning, we were using the velocity to plan our epics and features over time, which could be one to two years in in the future. And then you mentioned how well you can track how many features for an epic you have closed and we're 80% complete on this epic. By all means, those metrics could be used with the more senior stakeholders. Um, And then using the velocity, we could project timelines into the future. So if in this epic we have estimated and like we said, they're just estimates. Um, if we've estimated there is 500 points worth to get this epic completed, and we know that our velocity is 100 points per sprint, then it's reasonable to assume that in five sprints, we will complete this epic. That sort of reporting, we can certainly help the product owner with, but I let the product owner own that relationship. If the senior stakeholder would then go, well, I saw here three sprints ago, they managed to do 150 points and now they're only doing 100. What the hell's going on? I'd, yeah. I'd stop, draw the line there and go, hey, that, that's the inner workings of the team. There could be many, many different reasons. People could have been on leave, could have been on training, people could have been sick. Um, we could have had external dependencies. There's a whole bunch of reasons. And that's why we take an average velocity over three to five rolling sprints. And that's why we're using the average velocity to predict when the epics will get done. Now, coming back to another question, the senior stakeholders might be going, well, where's the value? Again, that goes back to the prioritization session we would have had with the product owner and helping the product owner to give a value to the epics and to the features, to the stories. And that will tie into the conversation we have with the stakeholders. Again, I'd be reluctant to use dev team 
uh, and scrum team metrics to present to the senior stakeholders. It's more at a higher level and a higher conversation. So with status reports on a sprint by sprint basis, I leave that to the product owner. I'll assist them with what they need, but I, I push back on drilling down into, well, this dev team isn't working as well as this other dev team. That's a different conversation. You want to keep it at the project level. On Dynamics projects, I think the product owner is very often, in my experience, first-time product owner. They maybe don't have a lot of a project experience, a lot of software development experience. So status reports, budget and forecast reports, risk reporting is quite a new discipline to them. And they quite often need a bit of help, either from a, a traditional project manager or some kind of project analyst or somebody in the PMO. Uh, maybe some help from the, from the team and from the Scrum Master as well. But if they can take that responsibility, I think that's awesome. Uh, I think you're, you're very lucky. And if, if that's the situation that you're in, um, on Dynamics projects, it's probably less frequently or less frequent for the product owner to have that experience and be comfortable taking that, that responsibility. And especially on. with um, three, six, Dynamics 365 projects, it's typically a consultant-client relationship. Yeah. And when you're, you're dealing with a client, they want, you know, bang for their buck. What, what am I spending my money on? They yeah. want status reports. So then that's a much more difficult conversation. And so how do you handle it then? Do you, do you issue status reports per sprint or do it over per month or over a period of time? Um, we have an iteration report um, every sprint. I'm also working with a third-party vendor and they're working, they issue me a status report every, every week and it's got the actions that they're working on, any blockers in their way, some red, amber, green statuses for scope and resources and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. A bit of a narrative to help help fill in the blanks around that, and then some report around the amount of hours they consumed, both in terms of time and expenses against the budget, just to let me know how they're tracking um, from a budget perspective. But what I'm really trying to get a sense of is, are we ahead of where we thought we'd be, or are we behind? And if we're behind, what's the reasons for that? Mm-hmm. And if we're ahead, can we should we consider, you know, keeping some of the budget back, or should we spend the money and, and get some more value for that that investment? Mm-hmm. There is one metric that I don't mind uh, bumping up to senior management, Neil. <laughs> I don't know if you can guess what that is. It's around incidents and bugs. So we have a lot of unplanned work that comes in, to particularly one of the teams I'm working with at the moment. They've spent 43% of their last sprint was spent on unplanned work, i.e. incidents, bugs, service requests, um, yep. pieces of work that don't feed into the sprint goal. Uh, because I'm working with a DevOps team, this work has to get done. So how we manage it is we give ourselves a buffer in agreement with the product owner and with senior stakeholders. And this one team in particular, once we calculate their velocity and their capacity for the upcoming sprint, we say, hey, we're going to give you guys 40% of this sprint just to work on incidents, bugs, unplanned work. The remaining 60% of the next two weeks will be done on the sprint goals. So the sprint goals will be uh, estimated as usual with relative estimation and stories. The unplanned work, we ask them to build their actual time to the unplanned work. And the reason right. we're doing this is that we want to be, one, we want to be sure that 40% is 40%. We don't want to use relative estimation there. And it's highlighted to us, it's been climbing. We started off on 20%. It's been climbing incrementally over the last few sprints. Wow. And it's really highlighted, we're a DevOps team. We don't just do monkey see, monkey do. An incident comes in and we sticky tape fix it without looking at the root cause. And the volume of incidents was so much. That's what the team was doing. 
that they were sw really swimming against the tide. They were just re trying to get the instance fixed so that the users could go back to work, but we weren't doing root cause analysis. And then we saw that the level of instance was climbing up. The more the level of instance climbs, that means we've less time to work on sprint goals. And before you know it, you're just going to be a production support team. So out of the back of that, by tracking that statistic, by tracking how much of, of our buffer is climbing, we have now tasked the team to step back and we're giving them a story with points in it to investigate the unplanned work that's coming in and do proper problem management, um, give self-service back to the customers, uh, reduce recurring incidents, find out what's going on, and then drive down that buffer. In, in Scrum teams, I like the mantra of you break it, you fix it. Um, but that shouldn't really be more than 10 or 15%. Getting up to 40% yeah. is, is ridiculous. So by using that metric that we've tracked for several months now, we started at 20% and now it hit 43 We brought that to the senior management and senior stakeholders and went, this is where your money's being spent. We need to, take, to step back and investigate what's going on here. And we, we got um, approval to do that. So that metric was really, really useful to highlight what we were doing in sprint, not just on sprint goals, but with the BAU work that most teams have to do as well. So, yeah, it's a good indication of, of the technical debt perhaps that exists in the system right. or you know, whatever the underlying reasons might be for those service requests and other distractions that are coming into that team. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's one metric I don't mind rolling up at all, Neil. Yeah, good. Um, so another metric I had was time blocked. Um, do you track blockers in your team, Neil, like at a story level? Uh, we, we certainly track blockers, yeah. We're, we're, um, we're having some fun with um, the Azure Express route configuration at the moment. We're, um, one of our stories is blocked on that, trying to get some data migrated into our Dynamics instances. Um, so, yeah, we definitely, definitely track blockers. Don't spend an awful lot of effort tracking time spent blocked mm. if um if it was a really serious issue that recurred an awful lot then yeah it sounds like a good metric to track there as well is that what you're doing and uh, no like you we don't track time because we think it can be skewed so if you had say five stories that were blocked in a sprint and um, four of them were only blocked for uh, two hours each but the other fifth story was blocked for the whole sprint, 10 days. That's going to blow out your, yeah. your average over the sprint. One that we, we do find useful is percent of items blocked. So again, if you had, right. say, um, 40 stories in a sprint and 10 of them ended up being blocked, that's 25% of your, of your stories in a sprint that were blocked. That's a very high number. Um, regardless of the time, you, you shouldn't have one in four of your stories being blocked in a sprint. So that number, the percent of items blocked, I find more useful than the average time of a blocked story. Yeah, good. Well, Dermot, I, I can't think of any more metrics I, I track in my Scrum projects. To be honest, I try and keep the, the amount of reporting uh, as minimal as possible to help the team with uh, their continual improvement and to help make sure the management knows that we're doing a good job and that we're making good progress. Are there any other critical ones that you want to highlight? Or uh, should we wrap it up and, and ask our, our listeners to come in with their status reports on this podcast episode? Yeah, look, there's lots more metrics out there. When you're using metrics, it's important to ask yourself, what am I measuring and why? Um, metrics should be surrounded by conversations and you should be able to take actions off the back of those metrics. Most of the time, I prefer to keep the metrics uh, for not to criticize. The metrics are there to help you to improve. And I like to keep them at the team level as I can, if I can, to inspect and adapt. Yep. And typically in the retro is where we discuss them, sometimes at the daily standup, especially on velocity, but also in the retrospective. 
uh, we use the metrics to be transparent on what that metric is being held up to be and why we're using it. So it's not there to criticize. It's not a KPI. It's there to help us improve. So it's very important to be, be clear on what we're measuring and why. If someone asks you, hey, I want to know the, the certain metric for this team, first thing you should ask is, well, why do you want to know that? Um, in case it's being used for something that it shouldn't be used for. So yeah, there's lots and lots of metrics out there. We've covered quite a few today. More than enough to use in a Scrum team, especially if it's a new team. What do you think, Neil? Hopefully given, uh, given our audience lots of ideas to go off and investigate and uh, read up on it by and, uh, and track in their next Dynamics project. Excellent. And we welcome, I know we covered a lot of content today, so any questions you have on metrics, please send it in and we'll do our best to get back to you. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks, Dermot. Catch you later on. Thanks, Neil. Cheers. Our mission is to have every Microsoft Dynamics 365 project succeed using Scrum. If you'd like to learn more about Scrum and become a certified professional Scrum Master, visit crm.audio slash Scrum Dynamics. You get discounted access to the introduction to Scrum from Microsoft Dynamics 365 course. The course features videos, worksheets, quizzes, and a practice assessment for the professional Scrum Master certification exam. It covers the theory of Scrum, its events, roles, and deliverables, as well as lessons learned through Scrum for Dynamics CRM case study projects. CRM Audio podcast listeners can get discounted access by visiting crm.audio slash scrumdynamics.